everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Red Rifle is here to stay, or at least the remainder of this season in the starting lineup for the New Orleans Saints. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as the Big Bald and Beautiful One. I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. Coming up in less than an hour from right now, Haley Arsamont shot from Crowfest. That's right. It's a new thing. It's happening this weekend. Safe, old school, trick-or-treating for the kiddos in a slew of other family-friendly events. She's going to stop by and tell us all about that great event this coming, coming up for this weekend. That's coming up at the end of this hour. In hour number two, the 7 o'clock hour, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us. We got betting lines. We got stuff to talk about for this upcoming weekend, including tonight's Louisiana Southern Miss ball game in Hattiesburg. That'll be coming up at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, we're jam-packed. Less East. Going to talk New Orleans Pelicans, New Orleans Saints with our friend from ChristensCitySports.com. Then at 8.15, Gary Goff. Giddy up with Gary Goff. That's right, the Meanies head football coach I sat down with yesterday. And then Scott Watkins from the Sun-Herald. He covers the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. He's going to give us a preview of tonight's UL Southern Miss game as well. So we're jam-packed, a slew of guests. Of course, we're going to talk the World Series, which begins tomorrow. And we want to hear from you. Game hotline's open. Just make sure you're nice to the lady behind the window. Hannah, five names. The number is 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. A slew of high school football games as well have been moved to tonight. Because of the projected bad weather coming through the area tomorrow. Acadiana High at Karen Crow was moved. It's now tonight, Thursday. Vermilion Parish Game of the Week. Ward Corville, Craig Wall, they're headed to Gaydon. That's right, home of the Duck Festival. They're taking on Oberlin. St. Landry Parish Game of the Week. St. Edmunds at Westminster Christian Academy. That's going to be on News Talk 98.5 FM. Matt Miguez, afternoon host of Crunch Time, will be broadcasting his show live from WCA as he'll be chipping in, helping out on that broadcast with Chad Jones because, hey, yours truly will be in Hattiesburg, Mississippi with Kevin Foote covering the Cajuns game versus Southern Miss. So lots going on. It's a busy, busy, busy day, gearing up for a busy weekend. 
but we're going to lead off with the news that's kind of dominating the cycle. And that's the decision by Dennis Allen to go with the Red Rifle. Andy Dalton will be the starting quarterback moving forward. That is a decision that was made yesterday when D.A. talked to the media, spoke with the folks to let everyone know what was happening. He said, moving forward, they are going to be moving forward with Andy Dalton at quarterback. Cites performance as opposed to Jameis Winston's health. So famous Jameis is healthy enough to play, is healthy enough to start. But Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, and company have made the decision to go with the Red Rifle as the starting quarterback over famous Jameis. Am I a little surprised by this? Yes. I'm surprised because Jameis was their guy. Jameis won the job, even while being banged up in training camp. They stuck with him. And typically, you're not supposed to lose your job due to injury. And even though the offense, they figured out how to run the football, and Dalton has helped them become a top 10 scoring offense they didn't win any more games like both Jameis Winston as a starting quarterback won one game this season and Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback won one game and it's not exactly fair to Jameis but Pete Carmichael started calling a different game as well Once Jameis got banged up and they had to go to Andy, they went to more of a running attack to deal with the fact that they had a quarterback that couldn't make the deep throws down the field and to compliment him. And we even talked about it on the show, and others that cover the Saints talked about, well, why didn't they have this game plan to begin with at the start of the season? But... They made the decision that they felt was best for them. And what I mean by that is it's getting to be desperation time down at the complex in Metairie. We can talk about glass half full all we want, about that the fact that they're only a game out of the divisional lead because the NFC is kind of trash. And even at 2-5, and five, they still have a legitimate chance of winning the division and hosting a home playoff game. All of that is true. All of that is true, accurate, factual. But it feels like they're a little bit more desperate than that, doesn't it? Even though logically you know they're only a game behind, it feels like they're far more. And they're going to ride with Andy despite a three-interception performance on Thursday Night Football, his last game out, including two pick sixes. The turnovers didn't stop. They they didn't stop. When Jameis got hurt, they did two things very well, didn't they? Go back and start looking at the games. What did they decide to do? What what did Pete Carmichael start to do? Implement, utilize Alvin Kamara more, 
in the screen game and in the run game. And they started utilizing Taysom Hill. That's not a coincidence. Once again, do I think Jameis Winston is that much better of a starting quarterback right now than Andy Dalton? No, I don't. I I don't think it's that much of a difference. The difference is, is that you have the potential of the big play with Jameis because he's got the big arm. Andy doesn't have the big arm, but he's not going to turn over the ball as much. But yet he still turns over the ball. Right, right. So we knocked Jameis for the slew of turnovers that he's had. Andy Dalton's coming off a three-turnover performance on Thursday Night Football. One pick six was on him. That's seven points. He threw another pick in the end zone. That's at least three points. That's a 10-point swing right there. I think this is the move that is the safe move for Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael. Andy has been the quarterback with their offense up and running. He's going to get credit because in the NFL, the quarterback gets more credit for things that they should have, and they get more blame than things than they should have, than they should. Pete Carmichael changed the way he called games, started incorporating Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill more. They started being more productive on offense. So Dalton's going to get a lot of the credit for that. It's not really how it works, but that's how the perception is. Will this matter? I don't know. Are you going to get Michael Thomas back? Are you going to get Jarvis Landry back? Are you going to give Andy Dalton weapons? I ask because I don't know. You found your tight end in Juwan Johnson because he's been a machine. Taysom Hill's been good when you've used him. Alvin Kamara's been good when you use him. What about the other wide receivers? No Deontay Hardy, no Mike Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. What are you going to do? Are you going to give Andy Dalton the weapons needed to continue having some success with this offense? And does Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback, does that fix your defense? Does that make Peyton Turner actually get on the field? Does that make Marcus Davenport actually make plays? Does it make Tyron Matthew actually appear to be interested in playing for the New Orleans Saints? I say no. Look, if you're a Saints fan, it it comes between two guys that are no longer starting quarterbacks. That's what they have on the roster. It's not to be mean. It's not to be disparaging of their talents. Andy Dalton's been a backup the last three to four years. Jameis Winston came to New Orleans as a backup. These two guys are not elite quarterbacks. They're not top tier or even probably top two tier quarterbacks in the NFL. So as much argument as I saw on the social media yesterday when the news broke, from the press conference from members of the media that Dennis Allen had made the decision not based on health, but based on offensive performance. 
Saw a lot of people starting getting in their feels. Saw a lot of people start sniping at each other on social media about Jameis Winston versus Andy Dalton. Here's the news flash for everyone. Neither one of them's an elite quarterback. Now, you can win in the NFL without having elite quarterback play. You can win a lot of games in the NFL without elite quarterback play. But you got to at least have a guy that's borderline top 15. The Saints have neither one of those. Whether it's Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton, does not matter. Neither one of those guys are a top 15 in the league. So you're arguing about middle-of-the-road, mediocre, average quarterbacks. Does keeping Andy Dalton make them that much better? I say no. If you had healthy Jameis Winston in there, would that make them that much better? I say no. This team has bigger issues than their quarterback play. This team has issues with turnovers from everyone on the offense. This team has issues with its defense, missed tackling, missed assignments, lack of a pass rush. And this team lacks a sense of urgency from the coaching staff down. Quarterback play is not even top three. And quarterback play is not even top three on why this team is two and five. Don't be distracted by the shiny thing being showcased over here by the man inside the tent at the circus. Don't let that distract you from the fact that this team has bigger issues more fundamental issues wrong with how it's organized and how it's constructed than it does who is the starting quarterback. Defense, bad free agent signings, the constant issue with health of the roster. Why are the Saints seemingly the most unhealthy team in the NFL? We don't talk enough about that. This has been going on now for about three to four years. Uh, why they get injured so much? All the teams in the NFL play hard-nosed football, don't they? Why are the Saints getting more banged up and having more severe injuries than others? You got an issue with your injury and your conditioning, I believe. You have an issue with your defense. You have an issue with how the front office has dealt with constructing a roster. There's a lot of other issues that are fundamental to the fact that this team is 2-5 and five, than it is debating which mediocre quarterback should be the starter for the New Orleans Saints. That is just the reality of the situation. Poll question of the day. I'm intrigued because I don't think we're going to see it Will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the Saints? I don't think he starts another game this year, barring injury. I think Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael are telling you everything that you need to know. Healthy Jameis Winston is ready to go. Healthy Jameis Winston's not starting at quarterback. I don't think either one of these guys, Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston, are going to be the starting quarterback or even on the roster next year. But we asked you, will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the Saints? 86% of you say yes. It's a lot of confidence coming out the gate this morning here on RP3 and Company. 
14% say no. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I'm sure that a 100% healthy Winston is the best chance for a Saints win. A starter quarterback by Taysom Hill is my best chance to win at, in all my fantasy leagues. Andy Dalton is the most comfortable start. I think John Paul's right. I think the coaching staff feels that Andy is the most comfortable. That's who they're the most comfortable with starting. Let's put it that way. I think that'd be a better way of saying it. Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, I really can't see who J-Dub is fully healthy since he suffered a ruptured tendon in his foot in addition to the fractured back. I think we'll see him in a couple weeks. Once again, Alan's comments on the subject were puzzling, and he shared a gift from Elf. You sit on a throne of lies. It's a great moment in that movie. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll hear from the Saints themselves as they gear up for a game. That's right. They have a ball game Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. Kind of a must win for them to help get themselves out of the hole. And guess what? It's Dennis Allen coaching against his, wait for it, former team. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Do you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? Then text the word Panther, P-A-N-T-H-E-R, to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100 for your chance to score a spot for two on the guest list for our private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at the Celebrity Theaters in Broussard. That's coming up on November 10th, just a few weeks away. Once again, if you want to score tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, text PANTHER to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100 to win tickets to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters in Broussard, and Sherman Insurance. Poll question of the day is, will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the New Orleans Saints. Dennis Allen makes the decision yesterday to members of the media that Andy Dalton is going to be the starting quarterback moving forward. Jameis is healthy and is good enough to play and is good enough to be the starting quarterback, but they've made the decision to go with the red rifle over famous Jameis. We asked you, will Jameis ever start another game for the Saints? 79% of you say yes. Tons of optimism there. 21% say no. Ton on Twitter says it may be next year, but yes, Allen likely won't be coached next year, and Carmichael probably won't be the OC. Dalton is only on a one-year deal. If they draft a quarterback in the next draft, he'll have to learn behind J-Dub because picks aren't high enough for a plug-and-play quarterback. I just I just don't know. I, th- there's so many things. The Bensons have never fired a coach after one season. I don't see that happening. I really don't. I just don't see that happening. Gail is not going to want to make a change, and I don't think Mickey Loomis will make it want to change. I really don't. So I think they're stuck with 
Dennis Allen, and I think they're going to be stuck with Pete Carmichael. I don't think you're going to see this coaching staff change. I really don't. As it stands right now. Now, if they go in the toilet the rest of the way and, you know, they end up with a top four or top five draft pick, which will become the Philadelphia Eagles draft pick, then I could see maybe something happening. Maybe they decide to actually do a rebuild. Maybe Mickey Loomis says, I've had enough of kicking the can down the road. I'm just going to eat it and see what we can do. So a lot can still change with so much of the season still up in the air. But I don't know if I buy Dennis Allen as a one-year coach. That just goes against what Mickey does. That goes against what the Bensons do and have done with owning the franchise. So Red Rifle in at quarterback. But it really doesn't matter because they just need to win. And their next opportunity comes Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. And Paulson Adebo, who missed the Thursday night game due to injury, you know, he's had an up and down. I say he's been wildly inconsistent, disappointing as a second-year cornerback out of Stanford. He was asked yesterday by someone at the press conference, hey, what's the vibe right now like for this team and the locker room with a record of two and five. I think everybody's um, kind of looking inward and trying to see what everybody can do individually to kind of get over the hump. Um, been been in some games and uh, kind of moving forward, just trying to take the next step to be able to finish. It's a very smart, measured answer by a second-year player. That's a pro answer, by the way. That's why I wanted to play because – he could have stammered. He could have went all the different places. It's very measured, you know. Oh, you know, got to do this, got to do this, you know. Very, yeah. I think there's a little bit of a maybe stress going on in that locker room. When you have Alvin Kamara, who's the silent guy, he's always led by with leadership by being kind of the silent guy, just, you know, quiet leader, you know, leads by example on the field when he's having to have a meeting with the players after the game and talking to them you know it's time to light a fire underneath your tuchus it's time to get it together desperation time has arrived in new orleans and 41 the fan favorite and really probably their best player talked about trying to get just not his swagger back, but the team itself to have that swagger that they had during that great run of four straight division titles and when they were a, a Super Bowl contender year in, year out there when he first got into the league. How did they get that back? The years we've been good, it's been like a certain swag and a certain confidence, you know, about the offense. Like, even when we were down, it was never like, it was never that, like we were looking at the score. It was like, all right, well, let's go, let's play football. It wasn't a score thing. It wasn't a, like what the other team was doing thing. It's like, let's go out, execute, and we're going to like the result. And I feel like, um, just honestly, I feel like we haven't really been playing like that. It's been like we kind of – it's just a, a little bit of a, a panic, a little bit of a like, oh, we down. like, And we don't play like that. I I, I still don't have that mentality. So, you know, um, I think I saw something about like somebody talking about like my body language like that. I'm just – you know, I'm always analyzing, always trying to stay 10 steps ahead in the game. So – you know, a, a blank look for me is not frustration. It's more so like, what can we do? What, what's next? What can we do to 
to put ourselves in position to win or put ourselves in position to, to uh, sustain a drive or what can we do to eliminate the mistakes that have been going on. <clears throat> so that's really what my, my uh, temperament is, my demeanor is. It's never a frustration. I like that answer because he tackled – people talk sometimes about his body language and he's trying to break it down for you. He's more analytical, right? When you see a blank stare by him on the sideline, he's trying to figure out, okay, how can I do better on the next play? How can we do better as an offense? And once again, the fact that AK is having to be the one to step up, it's not great. It's and the fact that they he you know he admits that before there was no, never a deficit that felt that it was too great for them. Oh, the team we just went down and scored, they're up by ten. Only got three minutes to go. All right, we got this. I think that's where they miss Drew more than anything. Because Drew was the rah, rah, rah cheerleader. Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got this. And the team kind of fed off of that. You don't have that with either one of the guys. Winston or Dalton. It doesn't mean that they're not good leaders. But they just lack that, that Drew. Drew had that. He was always pacing on the sidelines, ready to get back into the game. Always thinking... Just give me another shot and we can score, right? How many times did you see Drew just licking his hands, ready to get back into the game to lead him down for another drive? They don't have that. They just don't. Even though they're banged up, even though they're 2-5, and five, Kamara says, look, they still have all the pieces needed to get back on track and to be a great team. We, still, we, got, we got the pieces and, I mean, shoot, Nine was nine. Everybody know what nine was to this team, to this city. Um, he's gone. I'm going to be gone at some point. DA's going to be gone at some point. Cam Jordan, Demario Davis is going to be gone at some point. It don't mean that football stops for New Orleans Saints. It's going to keep going. So, you know, every year it's going to be an evolution. You know, you got to f- new leaders arise. Um, there's going to be some old leaders. Like, I'm still here, Cam's still here. But when they leave, when I leave, like, it's going to be somebody else that's going to step up. So, I mean, just because nine isn't here, they don't really mean that. And a lot of people say that, like, oh, well, nine and Sean Payton and they gone. <laughs> like, shoot, I, I, we saw, I saw nine in the locker room. I, see, I said, what's up to him? But he, he, didn't put it, he wasn't sweating. He, he looked good. He looked good and healthy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm taking off tape, bleeding. And, you know, we did that before. I did that with nine before. But he's not, in, he's not in there anymore. You know what I'm saying? So it's just different. So, I mean, the people in this locker room are the ones that got to, you know, step up and, and lead and, and will this team to do what we want to do. That sounds like some leadership there, doesn't it? Very blunt and very honest from Kamara to go, nine ain't in that locker room anymore. Like, it almost feels like what he told the media there is what he told the guys. Guys, nine ain't here no more. It's on us. We got to be the ones to step up. We got to be the ones to make the plays. We got to be the ones to lead this team. Nine ain't walking through that door no more. That felt very much like something he told the team, but we get a more censored version of it. I like that. If I'm a Saints fan, I like hearing that from Kamara because if if this is if this team is going to turn around their season, it's going to start with someone stepping up as a leader on offense. It sure does sound like to me it's Kamara. That's what it sounds like. You know, they've had a lot of turnovers. We've talked about that. A lot of it is sloppiness, lack of execution, lost fumbles, 
interceptions, pick sixes, the whole nine yards, stupid penalties as well that's cost them on drives, false starts, holds, the whole nine yards. All the bad habits that you can think of of a bad football team, the Saints have displayed them through the first seven weeks of the season. And Kamara talked about, you know what? We got to call that out as well. It's, you know, all this stuff we know, you know, in the, in the profession that we're in, we know it's, it, what's, what's bad and what's good, what's right and what's not. And, I mean, sometimes it's kind of like when it, when it goes, it's, it's noticed, but when, it, when nobody speaks on it, it kind of just gets, like, swept under the rug, swept under the rug, even if it's little, like, you know, jumping off sides in practice. It happens in the game. So then you look back and you're like, oh, it was happening all week in practice and nobody said nothing. So that's where I'm at. I'm like, I, I focus on little things. So I think about, I try not to, like, like super and like be be like micromanaging so many things, but like I think about that when stuff like that happens in the game, like oh well this happened, this happened, this happened, and it's been happening consistently. So when it gets to the game and it happens, it's like nobody checked anybody for it. You know what I'm saying? So it's now it's okay in the game and it's happening, happening. We've gotten better, you know what I'm saying? But I think it does resonate when somebody like speaks up. So I'll be trying to say what I got to say. Uh, I know we got to hit a timeout. I have a thought about what he just said. And I think it is also a reflection of the coaching from Dennis Allen. I'll share that with you next. We'll keep this conversation going along about the Saints here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're going to keep the New Orleans Saints discussion rolling right along here during hour number one of RP3 and company because I find what Alvin Kamara said yesterday to be a little bit revealing. He's taking on more of a leadership role, which this team needs. Somebody needs to step up and keep this team accountable. But we played this soundbite before the timeout, and I'm going to ask the producer extraordinaire to play it again because I want you to really listen to what he has to say. We talked about the bad habits of this team, all the turnovers, the penalties, the miscues, the mistakes, right? We've talked about how that's been damaging to them and has helped keep them at two and five. This is Camara talking about needing to call that out. Once again, here that is. It's, you know, all this stuff we know, you know, in the, in the profession that we're in, we know it's, it, what's, what's bad and what's good, what's right and what's not. And, I mean, sometimes it's kind of like, when it when it goes, it's it's noticed. But when it when nobody speaks on it, it kind of just gets like swept under the rug, swept under the rug. Even if it's little, like you know, jumping off sides in practice, it happens in the game. So then you look back and you're like, oh, it was happening all week in practice, and nobody said nothing. So that's where I'm at. I'm like, I I focus on little things. So I think about, I try not to like like super and like be be like micromanaging so many things, but. Like, I think about that when stuff like that happens in the game. Like, oh, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. And it's been happening consistently. So when it gets to the game and it happens, it's like nobody checked anybody for it. You know what I'm saying? So it's now it's okay in the game and it's happening, happening. We've gotten better, you know what I'm saying? But I think it does resonate when somebody, like, speaks up. So I'll be trying to say what I got to say. You notice what he said? It He said it twice. He said nobody speaks out. Nobody 
spoke about it. Nobody chose to speak out about it. That gives you a little bit of a window into the team's start to two and five. And, and I pose the question, and the reason why it catches my attention, Kamara feels like no one else is stepping up to be the leader of this team. This is why he's speaking up. This is why he's speaking out. He sat there and told you, hey, we're committing these penalties during practice during the week and no one's speaking out about it. And then it happens in the game. Nobody's choosing to be vocal about it. He's choosing now to be vocal about it. Kamara's a soft-spoken guy, right? He's more of a laid-back personality. This is not really in his wheelhouse to step up to hold guys accountable to be the vocal leader. This tells me they've been missing it, whether that's been Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. They've missed that vocal leadership that Drew Brees provided for all those years. This also tells me about Dennis Allen. Do you think Alvin Kamara or anybody else would be speaking on the fact that no one spoke up about mental miscues and mistakes during the week? You think Sean Payton wouldn't have said that? You don't think Sean Payton would have chomped somebody out during a practice? Or called them out or thrown them under the bus during a media session? Because he did it all the time. That's telling to me that either Carmichael or Allen didn't feel the need to make a big deal about mental miscues during practice, so much so that Kamara just sat there and told you nobody speaks out. Nobody speaks up about those issues. That's telling in two different ways. It's telling that maybe their Dennis Allen's voice is not that big, is not that loud, and is not getting the attention of his team. That's one. The second thing is, he's not setting ground rules or inspiring guys to step up and speak up. You look at the best teams when it comes to team sports, organized sports. Usually... Teams that have coaches that hold their players accountable and speak up and speak out have guys on the team that do the same thing. Usually goes hand in hand. That's why the Patriots worked so well for so many years because of Belichick and Brady. Because even though they may not see eye to eye and they may not like each other, they understand accountability. Sean and Drew were that way. You got guys on the defensive side of the football like Demario Davis that are that way. For sure. But he mentioned it. He said it twice. Nobody. He said it twice. Nobody speaks out. Nobody chooses to speak up. He now feels the need that it's forced on him to do so because he sees the writing on the wall for this season and he feels like something has to be done. Questions should have taken seven weeks to get to that point. Should someone else had stood up 
and rose to the occasion, so to speak? Should the coach demanded his guys to step up and have some accountability? Those things didn't happen. That's that's what Kamara's telling you right now. That That's what he just said. Very honest, blunt, didn't sugarcoat what he had to say, and he wasn't throwing anybody under the bus. He wasn't trying to, you know, make out, make somebody look bad. He was just being honest in his answer and saying, hey, we're having these mistakes in practice and nobody's speaking out and it's happening in games. So either Dennis Allen and the coaching staff are speaking to the players and the players just aren't listening, which is a problem all by itself, or Dennis Allen is not speaking out at all and forcing his players to be accountable. Find that to be very, very interesting. Poll question of the day. Don't forget to go vote on it. Will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the Saints? 78% of you say yes. 22% say no. Keep those votes coming. Leave those on Facebook and Twitter, your comments. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk Crowfest, the big Halloween event this coming weekend. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's a busy, busy week when it comes to community activities here in Acadiana, and we're about to put the spotlight on another one. Crowfest 2022. It's the Downtown Karen Crow Fall Festival. It's presented by Arsmont Machine and Supply. It's going to be held at City Hall slash Pavilion on Saturday, the 29th from 6 to 8 p.m. And this is the stuff that you're going to get. You're going to get a kids costume contest. You're going to have a pumpkin carving contest. There's even a drawing for a crow hunt, a jack-o'-lantern contest, petting zoo, it's also going to be safe trick-or-treating for the kids. It's a great event, and to sit here and to talk to us about it is Haley Arsamont Schott. She's the chair for Crowfest, downtown Karen Crow Fall Festival. Haley, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. All right, let's talk a little bit about this event and why is it so important to have an event like this uh, for families with their little ones and everything like this in this day and age? Um, downtown Cancro is coming alive, so we want to bring some activity down there. We love to see the kids running around. I live downtown, and I've always wanted trick-or-treaters. My kids, Coco and Honey, would love to trick-or-treat on their own street. Um, so we just want to bring the community out there, check out what's happening downtown, and just make the street come alive. As a parent myself to a small child, I find it more and more difficult to find places to go do trick-or-treating. So many neighborhoods don't do it anymore, and we've even been forced to sometimes go to other neighborhoods to do the traditional trick-or-treating. It sounds like Crowfest is more of kind of an old-fashioned trick-or-treating event designed for the kids. Correct. Old-fashioned Halloween. That's what we're looking for. Kids running up and down the streets um, and exactly not having to go to different places to trick-or-treat. They can all go downtown. Um, we're also going to have haunted houses there, um, a haunted house um, from Kiwanis Club and Calm Plumbing. We're, they're going to be out there. And food. Um, we're going to have a rest area in the middle for moms to take a break while they trick-or-treat up and down the street. Um, and we're just really excited about it. 
Tell us what was the genesis for this idea to have this festival. Obviously, Karen Crow is really uh, taking on doing more community-minded events in the last few years. It's definitely been an initiative from uh, the city and from organizations involved with the city government. But uh, tell us a little bit about how this event in particular came to life, so to speak. Um, I would have to say it's me. I was excited about having trick-or-treaters come to my house. I decorate all the holidays, but Halloween is my, my favorite. Um, so I just wanted to see it come alive down the street. I watch all the Halloween movies. I want pumpkins up and down the street, light it up. Um, the kids just running free. It will make my heart so happy. What's the reaction? What's the buzz been about having this uh, event, especially it being in its first year for downtown Karen Crow? Um, since it's our first um, event, we are kind of expecting a few we've had other events in Karenka with 500 to 1000 coming out we have um, banners around town so we're hoping that we get a good turnout we're looking to have maybe 500 to 1000 kids running around at one point one thing is they come trick or treat and they go so you know we can have it throughout the 2 hours um the businesses have been great everybody's being involved um we had lots of donations to help out with it um so it's been really easy actually for me to get it this together with the help of the community once again, we're talking about Crowfest 2022, Downtown Karen Crow Fall Festival, presented by Arsenal Machine and Supply, as well as the Karen Crow Cultural District. It's going to be going on this coming Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. And here's the things that are going to be going on. It's going to be a safe trick-or-treating area in an old-town Halloween atmosphere. You're going to have a kid's costume contest. You're going to have a carved pumpkin contest. You're also going to have drawings, games, food, and drinks, the whole nine yards. It's going to be a great family fun atmosphere in an event. Haley, before I let you go, tell the folks where they can go to get more information. Um, you can visit the Karen Crow Cultural District's Facebook page. They have all the information on there. And one final question for you, Haley. You said you love Halloween. It's your favorite holiday. What are you dressing up as and what are you dressing up your little ones as this Halloween? Well, I live in an 1890 house, so we're going as Victorian ghosts. And my daughter and her cousins are going to be little ghost girls. And my husband and my son are going to be Victorian vampires. That's someone right there that takes Halloween very seriously. There's no just going to the, the dollar store to pick up something on the fly. No, you've plotted this out. You've planned this out. I would assume your costumes are going to be meticulous I, you're probably going to to be the cream of the crop so to speak oh i like to dress up and i like to make my family do it all with me <laughs> i know it's going to be a great event once again Haley, thank you for making the time and best of luck with crow fest 2022 downtown karen crow fall festival this saturday there in downtown karen Co. thank you again so much for your time thank you very much that's Haley arsmont shot she is the chair for crow fest downtown karen crow fall festival once again it is this saturday the streets are going to close at 6 o'clock. Costume contest for the kids begins at 7. Carving pumpkin contest, 745. It's going to be a safe area for trick-or-treating. Old-fashioned family fun. Make sure to go check it out from 6 to 8 o'clock. With the holidays right around the corner, why not go ahead and sign up for the Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We got great items in there that would make the perfect stocking stuffer for this holiday season. We got a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. We also have a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also inside Cypress Bayou. And we still have $50 gift certificates to Half Shell Oyster House. You can find all of those great gifts inside our clubhouse, but you can only win them by becoming a member. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Let us help you with stocking stuffers this holiday season.
That's going to do it for hour number one here on RP3 and Company. Hour number two on deck right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Red Rifle is the man for the Saints moving forward this season, despite a healthy Jameis Winston. That's what we found out yesterday coming out of practice for the New Orleans Saints, who sit at 2-5 and five with the Las Vegas Raiders coming to town on Sunday. What do we make of that? Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Look, Winston, we find out yesterday the, the ankle thing was a ruptured tendon. Ah, that sounds painful. Four stress fractures in the back, ribs ribs problems, and a ruptured tendon in your foot. That's, that's, that's not optimal in coming off a season where it was ended prematurely due to a surgery and an injury. If Jameis would have come back, I would have liked to seen what he would have looked like healthy with the healthy pieces around him, like Jarvis Landry, like Michael Thomas. But there's no guarantee here that we would have ever seen that, nor is it guaranteed that we'll even see Andy Dalton with healthy pieces around him. Is Michael Thomas going to come back? He was at practice yesterday. He didn't practice, but he was there. What about Jarvis Landry? Are they ever going to have the guys that they were supposed to have back to help this year? Remember, that was the whole thing before the start of the season that gave everyone so much hope. Michael Thomas is going to be back healthy. You're adding Jarvis Landry. You're adding Tyron Matthew. Well, Tyron Matthew has made no impact. Landry has been hurt. Michael Thomas has been hurt yet again. Woof. What are you going to do there? Just, ugh. It's kind of nasty with all the injuries. So, even with Andy Dalton, you have no idea if they're actually going to, you know, be good or have pieces. That's, that's the reality. And the other thing is, picking Andy Dalton is the safe move for the Saints. It is. He's been in there. The offense has looked decent, right? They've scored enough points to win games. But the turnovers haven't stopped. You know, the big knock on Jameis was, well, from many fans and experts, is he turns over the ball way too much. Okay. I'd agree with that. I think everyone can sit there and tell you that. He turns over the ball way too much. Had the 30 for 30 year that everyone likes to point out. I get it. 
Would you like to know what Andy Dalton's done so far this year? In 2022, for the New Orleans Saints, he has seven passing touchdowns, four interceptions, and one lost fumble. So he's committed by himself five turnovers. By himself. Not great. Appearing in four games with five turnovers. That means Andy Dalton's averaging more than a turnover a game. And when you look at his career overall, do you know how many times Andy Dalton's had double-digit interceptions? That means more than 10. Would you like to guess how many times Andy Dalton, as a starting quarterback, has had seasons where he's turned over the ball thrown double-digit interceptions. Seven. Seven seasons has seen Andy Dalton. 13 interceptions, 16 interceptions, 20 interceptions, 17 interceptions, 12, 11, 14. He's thrown 233 career touchdowns to 139 interceptions. That's a lot of interceptions. That's a lot of turnovers. I bring that up to say, is he really that much different? I'm just saying, is he really that much different? Than Jameis Winston? Yes. Winston had the 30 for 30 season and Winston turns over the ball, but so does Andy Dalton. So does the Red Rifle. Here's something that you'll enjoy fumbles. Andy has fumbled the ball 46 times times in his career 46 46 fumbles and I gave you over how many interceptions again 46 fumbles and the number was 139 interceptions that's nearly 200 times he's turned over the football Is he that much of an improvement over Jameis Winston? I don't think so. But Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael are rolling with their guy. Because the offense has looked better with Andy at the helm. But I also think we need to give credit to the fact that Pete Carmichael is incorporating, since they went to Andy Dalton, more Taysom Hill time, more Alvin Kamara. Both of those guys have become fundamentally part of the offensive game plan. And they've been able to run the football. My point is, having Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback or having Jameis Winston as a starting quarterback, neither one of those guys are going to be a game changer. You can win with those guys. 
but they're not elite quarterbacks. They're not even second-tier quarterbacks. They're middle-of-the-road quarterbacks. I'll be interested to see what the Saints do moving forward because they've tried to piecemeal this together, haven't they? Never really came up with a good game plan to find Drew's successor. Kept going all in trying to win a championship. And now you got a couple years of middle-tier to lower-tier quarterbacks starting for your franchise. And someone brought it up to me yesterday. RP3, man, they're going to draft a quarterback. You think? You know how many times Mickey Loomis has drafted a quarterback in the first round? Zero. The Saints have only drafted a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft once. That was before I was born. That's when they took Archie Manning. In the 1970s. They don't do that. Now, will this quarterback class be talented enough? You got a lot of guys just thinking off the top of my head just from the SEC. Levis at Kentucky, Hooker at Tennessee, Bryce Young at Alabama, Jane Daniels at LSU, Richardson over at Florida. I ain't talking about if they look polished or not. So many guys get drafted in the first and second round year after year that look like projects to me and end up being projects and ones that don't work out. But I don't – would the Saints really draft a guy? Yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't feel like they would to me. But I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again probably a few times before noon today. But I don't think this decision between Dalton or Winston is going to be that much of a game changer for this for this team. They have to figure out stop turning over the football. Stop committing stupid penalties. Play better defense. You do those three things, you'll be 5 and 2 instead of 2 and 5. Poll question of the day though, will famous Jameis ever start another game for the Saints? 68% of you say yes, confidence about Winston getting back out there. Now, if something happens to Andy Dalton, he gets injured, sure. But I just don't see D.A. and Pete Carmichael after making this decision to roll with Andy instead of Jameis, even though Jameis is now healthy enough to be the starting quarterback again. Do you think they would go back on that? If Andy had a few bad games? I mean, the guy just had a three-turnover performance. And there's a rolling with Jameis still. I mean, Andy Dalton just had three interceptions in a ball game. And they're like, nah, he's our best option. Just like to point that out. Todd on Twitter says, hear me out. Would the Saints maybe kick the tires on Mac Jones? Huge potential not being coached up in playoff experience as a rookie. That's the type of move I could see them make in the offseason. I could see them doing something like that. A a player like Mac Jones, they have a good working relationship with New England as a franchise as a whole. The Bensons do with the Kraft family. The front offices get along. They've had joint practices over the years. There's a lot of respect between the two. So I could see them making some type of draft deal. Sure. If 
the Patriots decide to move on for Mac Jones. But all reports are, by the way, Mac Jones is taking 95% of the snaps in practice this week. He's going to be the starter for Sunday. JPK, the OD, says, no, they're cutting bait. Full stop. Now let's talk big picture. How about the 2023 quarterback draft class and how smart Sean Payton is looking for jumping ship when he did when he did this with his reputation as a genius intact? I think Sean did not do that. Look, Sean retired because Sean was burned out. It happens. Bill Parcells left teams all the time only to come back again. I think Sean Payton could get back into coaching. Sure does look like the Los Angeles Chargers job is just going to be right there for him because it doesn't look like their guy has it in has that team where it needs to be. Staley. And if you're Sean Payton, you look at the Chargers, got a franchise quarterback, franchise wide receiver, franchise running back, studs on the defensive side of the football. Sure does look like a ready-made team to me. And I don't think Sean's interested in doing some type of massive rebuild. He's already done that in his career. He did that 15 years ago with the Saints. Oh, and even then, he didn't do a rookie quarterback or develop a quarterback, did he? He took a veteran guy that no one else wanted. Just saying. Joe Cola says, I say yes only because the personnel decisions in the last few years have shown they refuse to go get a quality quarterback and are apparently happy with mediocrity. You know, they've tried to go cheap with the quarterback, haven't they? Now, they did try to get Deshaun Watson this offseason. Now, if that would have happened, they'd still be in the same boat they are right now because Deshaun's not allowed to play football because, you know, of all the off-the-field situations, plural, involving him. But they did try to go get Deshaun, couldn't get him. But they did try to make a splash there. And we do know that they wanted to draft Patrick Mahomes years ago. The Chiefs traded up in front of them, took that out of the picture. But they did have an opportunity to get Lamar Jackson. They didn't do it. Salty Steve on Twitter says, Jameis, Red Rifle, or Hill? Question mark. Comparison. Should I slam my hand in a car door? Should I walk in front of moving traffic? Or should I slap Mike Tyson? Same answer as picking one of these guys at QB1. You will lose. So, so salty, Steve is. And we're here for it. (laughs) He's so salty all the time. I love it. Except for on Fridays. Because what's Friday? Five names, no salt Friday, hashtag. She got the hashtag down with her fingers. And I knew what it meant. I'm learning. I'm going to be so hip. (laughs) She shakes her head. No, that will never happen, Raymond. That will never, never, ever, ever happen. We got to take a timeout. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. We'll talk a little Raging Cajuns football next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though. 
wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana Sports Station. Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble here in Acadiana. And look, Chris and his team over at LMG, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, your man caves, and even your she sheds. That's right. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and guess what? In a few years, you don't have to worry about the odor that comes with having grout in your shower. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the jockey lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Woo! Let's talk a little Louisiana Raging Cajuns football, shall we? They're taking on the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Yours truly and Kevin Foote will be road-tripping to the Berg, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, to cover the game tonight. It's going to be a good one because both teams have begun to turn a corner. Both teams are are emerging as possible bowl teams. And this is going to be a key game for the Cajuns because they've won back-to-back now, dominated Arkansas State, gutted out a hard-fought win on the road against Marshall the week before. They're now 4-3. and three. You look at their schedule. Troy is one of the better teams in the Sun Belt this year. That's coming up a week from Saturday. At Cajun Field. Then you got Georgia Southern on a Thursday night. They've been up and down all year. That's kind of a coin flip game. On the road in Tallahassee to take on Florida State. That's probably an L. And then on the road at Texas State to wrap up the regular season. The way the Sun Belt is kind of stacked. There's so many good teams this year. I don't know if six wins for the Cajuns gets them into a bowl game. What helps them is the fact that they're the defending conference champion. They have name recognition. So that's going to go a long way here if they're choosing between, say, I don't know, like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and even Troy. Okay. The Cajuns have a little bit more name recognition right now. That helps with them. I think the Cajuns probably have to get to seven wins. I think seven wins, they're in a bowl game. I could be wrong. Six may get it, depending on how the rest of the schedule shakes out for the conference. Some of those teams that may be in line for a bowl game right now may not get there. Once again, we still have a month to go in the season. But a win tonight would put the Cajuns at 5-3 and three overall. 5-3 and three with four games to go. That puts you in a great spot, right? 
and you can continue building this momentum that began all the way even before they went on this back-to-back winning streak when they looked better against ULM. And then the next week, they looked far better against South Alabama, but came up short. Looked better against Marshall, got the win. Looked far better against Arkansas State. They're looking to continue this midseason resurgence, if you will. The team is finally starting to kind of come together, if you will. And look, this for a lot of old school fans, this is an emotional matchup because Southern Miss and the Raging Cajuns were longtime rivals. The Golden Eagles, though, have dominated this series. They have just dominated the series. And the Cajuns have only beat the Golden Eagles in Hattiesburg one time. That's it, once. That was 1989. Brian Mitchell, one of the best players in Raging Cajun football history, outdueled Brett Favre. That's how long ago this was. That's the only time. And then Favre and company came back to the Cajun field the next year and got the the win. But it was Brian Mitchell. So this doesn't happen, but the fact that these two teams are now in the conference, it's reinvigorated this rivalry, if you will. And Coach Dez, who actually played against Southern Miss back in the day during his playing career, talked about the emotions behind this primetime matchup between new division rivals. You can't make it more than it is. You know, the last few weeks we've kind of had some of those things. You know, it's every opportunity to play the game special. All right. These guys work year round, you know, from January when they get back on campus, it is full tilt, full go. And you're only guaranteed 12 opportunities as a team. That's a unique sport. You can't make it more than what it is. It's the most important game of the year for us, certainly, because it's the next one. Um, It's a Western Division game. Um, and it's the one that's coming up in a couple days here. But if you make it more than that, then you start getting into emotional mistakes that those those hurt you. Emotion wears off when you get into the game, okay? You know, you start out and you feel a certain type of way. And once the ball's kicked and it's turned over and you have a couple of possessions, then the momentum in the game starts to take over and you start to feel that. So, you know, for us, it's always about the things that we need to do to win, to win a football game that's very important to us. For us to do what we want to do, we have to win this football game. Our kids know that. I love that mentality. Fans care more about the rivalries than the kids do. And you can't get too amped up for the game if you're a player. Because that can throw you off, right? That can throw off your focus, your preparation. It is a short turnaround for the Cajuns. But you know what? It's also a short turnaround for Southern Miss. It's not like they're coming off a bye themselves. So they have to play Southern Miss on a short turnaround and have to travel to do so, and Coach Dez elaborated about that. Things like this, they're a disadvantage if, if you don't handle them the right way. You know, I mean, if, if you go out there and you handle the turnaround well, it's, it's an advantage. So, you know, we've worked hard on Southern Miss for a while now, um, you know, at various times throughout the year to kind of familiarize ourselves. The kids maybe not as familiar with it, uh, but as a coaching staff, you know, you know that these games are coming. You, you know that you're going to have to turn them around. So, you know, you do a lot of groundwork ahead of time to get ready for it. We are pretty familiar with them just because of, the, of who's on their staff, you know, really. Um, you know, a lot of familiar faces there. Uh, guys that we know that we've worked with know really well personally um, or what have you. But, uh, you know, those things, I mean, they've got the same issues we do. 
you know, I mean, they've they've got to turn it around in five days. They've they've got to figure out a game plan in a short amount of time. So, you know, it's it's all equal here. You know, I mean, there really is no advantage disadvantage. It's it's who handles it the best. You know, we'll you know we'll inevitably we'll win the game. Once again, six thirty kick tonight. You can follow along on the game's Twitter account or on my Twitter account for updates throughout the game. I'll have a game story up as well. We'll do some things on social media afterwards as well because it's UL Southern Miss, a rivalry renewed in Hattiesburg at the Rock. That'll be tonight. We'll talk more about this game, get more of a preview when Scott Watkins from the Biloxi Sun Herald joins us. He covers the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. That'll be coming up at 8.30 today. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to look at the games, the marquee games for tonight and for this weekend with our guy Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Our sports betting expert joins us next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lopa's Trail Run for Life 2022 is going to be this Sunday. That's right. It's back. The 10K, 5K, or one-mile superhero fun run is taking place at the Cherokee Ridge Horse Farm, located right there at 200 Flying W Road in Karen Crow. Participating supporters, participating rather, supports LOPA and is a chance for all of us to honor LOPA's life-saving heroes and celebrate the gift of life. Once again, the LOPA Trail Run for Life is back this Sunday. 10K, 5K, or one-mile superhero fun run. If you want more information, go visit lopa.org today. That's lopa.org. Got a great slate of action this weekend. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to take the weekend off. LSU's on by. Well, no. You got Raging Cajuns taking on their old rival, the Golden Eagles of Southern Miss. Both teams could get a win to help them get closer to becoming a bowl team as both teams have seemingly have turned their seasons around. And there's other good matchups for this weekend as well. Ole Miss looking to bounce back against Texas A&M, which is an absolute dumpster fire. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party in Tennessee. Can they be tested by Kentucky? To break it down for us is our friend from Paramount Sports, Lee Sterling, joins us now. Lee, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I can't complain at all. So, uh, um Things are very, very good. So, like when things are rolling, your wife's happy, your kids are happy. Uh, so, I'm in a good state. If I have a winning week this week, um, and we have a big one, have our NFL game of the year, um, you won't hear a complaint out of me at all. There you go, bud. There you go. Living <laughs> the dream. Living the dream. All right, yep. let's start. 
Let's start with tonight's game between Louisiana and Southern Miss. Both teams started off the season with struggles. The Raging Cajuns have kind of figured things out, it seems like to me. Offensive line is healthy, and they're starting to build some chemistry. They also made a change at quarterback, which made a difference. Southern Miss is being led by their defense. This is a pick game, right? This is a coin flip yep. game, Lee. How do you like it? So let me ask you a question. You would, Chris Smith is, is, is back, correct? He'll be playing? Uh, and last time we checked, he's supposed to play tonight, yes. Yeah, and also Chandler Fields if, if Ben uh, Woodridge was injured. If also. so, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. That's what that's what I had been able to surmise. But um, I think it's good that they've already played a midweek game. That helps you prepare for another one. Uh, you know, right now things are looking pretty good. Uh, problem for both teams is they have just not had exceptional quarterback play. And when it's average or below average, these teams struggle. So Southern Miss has got some talent. I mean, this kid Frank Gore Jr., who's Frank's obviously son, former University of Miami Hurricane, and then great NFL running back, um, he does a lot running and catching the ball out of the backfield. And they also have a big-time threat at receiver, um, kid named Jason Brownlee. And 6'3", a little over 200 Tough to catch. You gotta, gotta, you know, just try to double him, and he's gonna catch six, seven balls most games, and just limit the other guys. But I think that experience, and I think the defense coming up with some timely turnovers is gonna be the difference here. I'm, I'm gonna keep riding with him. You were concerned last week, and I wasn't. This game might be a little bit tighter, but I think they pull it out here, 27-24. You like the Raging Cajuns to win? Yep. Yep. Let's go to some of your other games that are going to be mainly for this weekend. And let's go into the SEC, and let's talk about Ole Miss. They were in control of the game against LSU, up by two touchdowns, and then Jane Daniels took over offensively, and LSU's defense then just shut down Ole Miss's offense. They're looking to bounce back after a humbling loss in Death Valley, and they're taking on a team that lost yet again, and things are just coming apart at the seams for Texas A&M. We're talking punters are entering the transfer portal in the middle of the season. They're losing recruits. They're getting guys arrested. Guys are being kicked off the team. Jimbo looks lost. How do you like this game? You, you, I like that you brought up Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels was on fire. I mean, he was in a zone, and it was like – and I, I've been there only once or twice in my life playing quarterback. It's when you feel like you're there's no one in the stadium. You're just there by yourself, and it's like you're playing seven-on-seven seven pitch and catch. And he was in that state, I thought, last week. So uh, did I think that Ole Miss could have played better? Yeah, down the stretch, but – they just caught a hot quarterback here, and I think this matchup is perfect for them. So the Aggies run defense 102nd in the country. They have um, Ole Miss, the third-ranked rushing attack, at over 251 yards per game, averaging 5.5 yards per carry. And here's the other biggest thing. Texas A&M is down three offensive line starters. Well, you can have a quarterback go out and not even a good one, and the line will change two or three points. Three line starters, and the line doesn't move. That just tells you uh, lines makers, they realize the average person is not going to look at that. And uh, 
two of those three of their two best players. So this is a real problem here for A&M. Their quarterback position has been a, an absolute nightmare. You know, they went to the backup, the kid, the true freshman. Everyone thought he was the savior. He looked like a statue back there. Um, I think A&M is in big, big trouble. I like Ole Miss 30-20. to 20. So you're going over here yep. on that bet line because, yeah, I think that I think that point spread is, is oh, man, it, it seems – I just don't – even with Ole Miss being humbled, Lee, they're, they're worlds apart away from being an A&M. They just are. Texas A&M is in a free-for-all right now. Let's talk yeah, about the worlds. This landing may not be very – what's crazy is, you know, these contracts, I've said from – you should never have a baseball player – or a player in any sport getting more than a five-year contract. Uh, I mean, they're talking about, you know, we've seen, has any 10-year contract worked out for anyone? Baseball, no. no. <laughs> Coaches, except for maybe maybe Nick Saban, you know, it, it's just a mistake. Look what's going on at Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State, you look at that roster, they have no talent, and, and they're locked into a guy for another eight, nine years. So, big mistake. Uh these ADs, you know, they feel the pressure after a coach has one great year. Or they feel that they got the guy. They got. They want to reward him, but you know, it sets your program back. That's what it feels like they've done at A and M, with despite all the headlines and all the you know buzz about that program, they have not delivered. Let's switch over to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. That's what I still call it, and I don't care yep, that they've changed me too. it. <laughs> Georgia, the defending national champions, they're taking on Florida. The point spread is massive, 22 points in favor of the dogs. Yep. Florida is still trying to find itself under Billy Napier. I would not be surprised if this is a three-touchdown type of game by the end of the day, but we have seen Georgia look vulnerable and sluggish during this season against the likes of Kent State and Missouri. Uh, do you think the Bulldogs easily cover here? They will be motivated, and so will Florida. This is one of the top three or four rivalry games. And the so-called experts, they're going to talk all week about how Anthony Richardson only has seven touchdown passes. But they still scored 29 on Utah, 33 on Tennessee, 35 on LSU with him under center. For Georgia to cover 22 to 22 and a half points, they might have to score 45, 50 points. And that is tough and not likely. Stetson Bennett is fine. But I doubt he's going to play in the NFL. If he does, it's going to be as a third string. You know, I don't see him as a backup. Georgia's defense looks good, but not up to last year's standards. Only seven sacks in seven games here. And Florida does one thing really well. They have a good pass defense, above average. They've only allowed eight touchdown passes, and they got some thieves in the secondary, six interceptions. Georgia turns the ball over two or more times. Chances are probably less than 10% that they will cover the game here. And I think that that could happen here. Um, Gators lost to some strong SEC teams here, Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU by 10, 5, and 10 points. And I thought they played poorly in all three games. I think Georgia's going to win what is one of the top rivalry games in college football, 35-25. But I'm going to go with Florida covering the 22.5 points, Fred. Tennessee has been the great story of college football. They have a guy that may be the best quarterback in the SEC, a Heisman favorite, and you know they got a, a looming showdown with Georgia, which is just going to be epic in less than two weeks. But they first got to get through Kentucky, and that is a well-coached Kentucky team. I know they have injuries, and they haven't looked 
the same as they have in years past. What do you make of this matchup? The Vols are being spotted 12 points. So the key to this game, I think, is going to be turnovers. Uh, that's one of the things, and also time of possession. Kentucky's lost 12 turnovers this year, 95th in the country. So they turn the ball over two or three times, they're in trouble. But Kentucky is number two in the SEC in time of possession, holding the ball for almost 34 of every 60-minute game. And four of those games were without Chris Rodriguez. And the game last year, look this up, this is incredible. You only see this happen in three or four games every year. Kentucky held the ball for over 46 of the 60 minutes. Now, they did lose 45-42. So I, I think possession is sometimes overrated, but if they hold the ball for long stretches of time and they hold the ball for a couple seven, eight-minute touchdown drives, it's going to make it tough on Tennessee. And Kentucky's defense, I think, is good enough to slow down. No one's going to stop this Vols offense here and, and match points, but Tennessee's defense isn't championship level either. Look this up every year in almost every sport, even basketball. Like last year, people were telling me, oh, well, you know, this team is great. This t-. At the end of the year, the top four teams in defense were Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, Miami Heat, three of the top four. Those are three of the top four teams playing for the championship. Last year, Georgia, the best defense in the country. They won the national title. Alabama, last 10 years, they're top five almost every single year. I don't think Tennessee's defense is championship level. And also, Tennessee can't show everything. They've got Georgia up next week in Athens. I think this game goes to the wire. Tennessee pulls it out. Another great finish, 38-35. But I'm taking Kentucky in the 12-and-a-half points. Will Levis. He might end up going higher than any other quarterback in the draft next year. Let's go to the NFL. The Saints keep finding ways to lose games that they should win. <laughs> yep. And they did so again on Thursday night last week against the Cardinals. They're desperate for a win. They're 2-5. and five. They're taking on a Las Vegas Raiders team that is underwhelmed with their preseason expectations as well. Both teams need a win. Saints make the decision that they're rolling with the red rifle, Andy Dalton, instead of a healthy Jameis Winston. Does that change your perception on how to go bet this game? Well, also, let's, let's look at the, the, the way plays are called. And, and with Sean Payton there, uh, more innovative. Um, this is a dull offensive team uh, with Allen as a head coach here. And they're fading right now. They've lost five of the last six games. They've given up 20 or more points every single game. Uh, they've given up, in fact, an average of 33 points over the last four games. So uh, they even, you know, if you're going to give us up some points, get some takeaways. Only five in the last seven games here. they got so many injuries in defensive backfield, wide receiver position. It's going to be tough. A lot of things have to go right for them to win. The Raiders are 2-4. and four. But they've outscored opponents, believe it or not, by 13 points. Their four losses were by five points to the Chargers, uh, six to the Cardinals into overtime, and two to the Titans and one to the Chiefs here. I mean, Josh Jacobs is a, I mean, a monster running the football, 441 yards rushing the last three weeks. Even their kicker, Daniel Carlson, is challenging Justin Tucker to be the top kicker in the league. He's made 39 straight field goals, the longest streak in the league, and if the Raiders win this game, the next three games coming up are the Jags, Colts, and Broncos. They feel they can get back in it. I like the Las Vegas Raiders here, 
30 to 21. All right, bud, I'll get you out of here with yep. this. What's your lock of the week? And tell folks where they can go to place those bets and put a little cash in their back pocket. So game of the week this week is Arkansas and Auburn. Um, will people fall for the trap here, or will this be an easy win uh, for the Arkansas Razorbacks over Auburn? Looks like eventually they're going to make a coaching change. We think it's going to happen every week. Could this be the week? You want to get it for free? 800 400 Nine seven four one. What a run we've had! Nine out of eleven winning weeks. We have not had a losing week in the NFL. We are fifty three and eighteen on our forty to fifty unit play. Our fifty unit NFL game of the year goes on Sunday. You want to get involved? Baker's dozen thirteen games, hundred and forty seven dollars combined Saturday and Sunday. NFL six pack including the game of the year, just ninety seven dollars. Just one place. ParamountSports.com. Lee, appreciate your time. As always, good luck this weekend, brother, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. Sounds good. See you. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up our number two update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. We asked you, will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the New Orleans Saints? It was announced yesterday by Dennis Allen that they are going to be rolling, moving forward with Andy Dalton, the red rifle, as the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, even though Jameis Winston is reportedly healthy. We asked you, will famous Jameis ever start another game for the Saints? 72% of you believe so, yes. 28% say no. If maybe Andy gets injured, I could see that happening this year. But I don't know. The way the contract is built for Jameis, too, they can easily dump out of this second year. And Andy Dalton's on a one-year deal. I could see neither one of these guys being on the roster next year. Honestly. Especially depending on how this season goes. Now, maybe if they're a playoff team with Andy Dalton, they decide to keep him around for another year, draft a quarterback to be the heir apparent, maybe. But... I mean, look, the offense has looked better with Andy at the helm, but they've also changed and tweaked their play calling. They've ran the ball better. They've gotten Alvin Kamara more involved. They've gotten Taysom Hill more involved. So let's see. But here's the thing. Jameis Winston is a starting quarterback, one win. Andy Dalton is a starting quarterback, one win. This is the 2-5 and five team. We're talking the difference between middle-tier quarterbacks. And this team has far bigger issues than quarterback play. Play calling, stupid penalties, and a defense that is sleepwalking through the first seven games of the season. If you guys think that the quarterback play is what's keeping this team from being atop the division and having a winning record, then you're not paying attention to the football team because they have far bigger issues than inconsistent quarterback play. Turnovers, penalties, and a defense sleepwalking through the season. We'll talk more about the Saints with Les East, who joins us to kick off hour number three. That's next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. It's been a good show so far. We've talked a lot about the Saints, listening to what Alvin Kamara had to say. Some things stood out to me. The decision to go with the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton, instead of Jameis Winston. We'll talk more about that coming up here just in a few minutes. But a reminder, half an hour from right now, we're going to get a preview of tonight's Louisiana Raging Cajun Southern Miss Golden Eagles game from a man who covers the Southern Miss Golden Eagles for the Biloxi Sun-Herald. Scott Watkins will be joining us half an hour from right now, giving us some insight. Reminder, you can catch all the updates from the game because I will be there live with Kevin Foote covering the game for the station. Also coming up later this hour, Gary Goff, the McNeese head football coach. They lost a tough one on the road to Nichols. What's the mentality going on with this team? What's the mindset? How is he keeping the kids positive despite the losses piling up in year one and under his watch? That's all coming up. But right now it's time for us to talk Saints and to talk Pelicans with our buddy Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Les, good morning to you, my friend. How are you, brother? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, bud. All right, let's dive right in. D.A. tells you and your fellow New Orleans media folks that they're going to be going with Andy Dalton moving forward. Typically, a guy doesn't lose his job due to injury, and D.A. tried to explain it like it has nothing to do with health. It has more to do with the offense. Are you kind of buying that or no? Yeah, I'm buying it. I was a little surprised by it. Uh, I'm not sure that he committed beyond Sunday. Uh, you know, presumably that this, this is an indefinite thing. But I, I believe all he said was that Dalton is going to start on Sunday against the Raiders, and it surprised me a little bit because I thought once Jameis was healthy, they would probably go to him. At least, given the fact that they've lost four out of five, and that. You know, the offense has been better, but has uh, had its problems with turnovers, including three interceptions by Dalton last week, although all of them weren't his fault. And so I was I was a little surprised uh, that he's sticking with him now that Jameis is healthy and practiced fully yesterday. But he does have a point in that the Offense has been moving the ball much better of late. There's been a lot of productivity there. The only thing that's really held them back has been the turnovers, and I think he's reluctant to mess with something that seems to be getting better. It's not perfect, but it's getting better, and they have enough problems as it is without disrupting um, something that might be getting untracked. So I, I understand the logic behind the decision even though I I would not have predicted it my question then becomes okay you want to ride Andy because the offense has looked better which it has it's not perfect like you said but it's looked better they're scoring enough points to win games 
but it also feels like the play calling has changed since the time Jameis was the quarterback as well. They're more focused on the running game. They're getting Alvin Kamara involved more with the screen game. They're involving Taysom Hill more in the passing attack. All that's happened after Jameis got hurt. So how much is the success with Andy Dalton because of Andy Dalton, and how much is it because of a different, slightly different approach by Pete Carmichael and company? Well, I think they've they've kind of gone hand in hand. I, I do think Pete Carmichael has done a better job the last three games, especially with uh, game planning and play calling. I think part of that has to do with a comfort level with uh, Dalton. I think the the offense that they run or the 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 plan that they put together for Andy, I think, is a little more similar to what they always put together for Drew Brees because they're similar type players. You know, Jameis has a different skill set, and even though they run the same offense, I think they've had trouble getting comfortable with plays that uh, he's comfortable with while trying to incorporate his ability to throw the deep ball while also running the ball a lot and also using the underneath uh, package that they have. So, you know, I, I think that was a bit awkward trying to get into a comfort zone with Jameis. And then another thing I don't think we can overlook is that if you go back uh, to the Tampa game and especially the Carolina game, they had a lot of problems with pass blocking and picking up the blitz. And I think part of that was that Jameis does not do as good a job as Andy at identifying where the pass rush is coming from and adjusting the blocking schemes to be prepared for that. And I think there was the potential if they went back to Jameis that they would take a a step backward in pass protection. So I think all of that factors into the decision and the, 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 I think the ceiling would have been potentially higher with Jameis because of his big playability, but I also think the potential for the offense to take a step back backward would also be increased if they had gone to Jameis. So it was a complicated decision, and uh, I, I, I think you can make a case either way. Dennis Allen felt more comfortable sticking with Andy Dalton at least for another week. Where do we stand on the health of the wide receiving core, which has been injured in by one person or another for most of the season? Well, right now it doesn't look like anything's changed with uh, Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry, or Deontay Hardy, who's on IR and, and won't be coming back um, in the, for the next couple of weeks. So uh, it has not gotten uh, better that we can see. Now, presumably Landry and Thomas – are getting better as they get treatment, but neither one practiced at all yesterday. So it doesn't look like uh, they're likely to play on Sunday again. And it's it's been, I think this would be the, the third or fourth game for Jarvis, and Thomas has been out a week longer than uh, I don't think Thomas has played since Carolina. So uh, it doesn't look like they're going to have any reinforcements they brought back Keith Kirkwood uh, to the roster, I believe, on Tuesday. So that right there was a sign that they expect to be shorthanded at wide receiver. And it, um, it certainly looks like Thomas and Landry will be unavailable again on Sunday. 
Oh, woof. It's just, you know, uh, the expectations for this team were so high. And, and look, a lot of that has to fall on them for not executing. But a lot of it does have to fall on this fact that they've been so banged up and they can't get the guys on the field at the same time. It's it's a mash unit yet again. Another season with injuries playing a significant role in what's happening with the New Orleans Saints. I, I want to ask you about what Alvin Kamara had to say yesterday because we played the clips earlier today and it really, really grabbed my attention, Les. Because Alvin was talking about the mistakes and the miscues and cleaning things up. And he went on in a very blunt and matter-of-fact way talking about we saw mistakes in practice and then no one spoke up. Nobody would speak out about it and we would have the mistakes happen in the game. No one was speaking up. No one was speaking out. That caught my attention because I like the fact that he's addressing it. I like the fact that he's addressing the team and he's trying to take on that leadership role. But if you're committing bad mistakes that are costing you games week after week, turnovers, sloppiness with the execution, dumb penalties, and no one's speaking up, whether that's a player or a coach demanding someone speaks up, how concerning is that for you? Well, it's definitely a concern, and it speaks poorly of, of everyone involved because that, that's a responsibility that should fall on the coaching staff as well as the players. And uh, Alvin apparently spoke up in the locker room after the loss to Arizona last Thursday. And uh, if you go back and look at the, the video of Demario Davis's talk with us on Monday, he not only alluded to uh, Alvin's speech on Thursday, but uh, Demario also talked for several minutes. He, uh, he he didn't even really answer any of the questions that were put to him. He had a uh, a lecture that he had prepared when he came into the interview room about what it's going to take to get this thing back on track. And you know they've lost five games now, and now all of a sudden there's a sense of urgency. And you wonder why there wasn't a sense of urgency sooner if guys were making mistakes in practice. They've been turning the ball over for more than a month now. And uh, it's like, you know, because they've had three extra days between games, they've had more time to reflect. And a lot of this stuff has sort of bubbled to the surface. And so I, I think the fact that Alvin is pointing it out and Demario is echoing it is positive because it's it's something that they seem to be taking very seriously, the need for them to have a greater attention to detail, to hold each other accountable, to stop beating themselves. All of that is, is positive that it's on the front burner now. You wonder why it wasn't there sooner and you wonder if it's going to make a difference on Sunday. Nothing's going to make a difference until they win a game, but I think the fact that they're talking about stuff like this is potentially a positive, but we won't know until we see how they play on Sunday. Is this a sneak peek, a reflection of Dennis Allen's head coaching abilities? Well, I think you have to say that it, it reflects poorly on him. I mean, it all starts with him. Uh, you know, certainly Sean Payton, over the years, uh, there were times when he would stop a particular drill or a practice 
and restart it because he yep. didn't he wasn't satisfied with the focus at that point in the practice I, we don't get to see practice other than stretch during the uh regular season so we don't know exactly what's going on but it certainly sounds like uh Allen has not been as quick to do that as Sean was and that that reflects on on his ability as a head coach thus far can they fix the defense because this offense even with all the injuries less and they've had a slew of them they still have been able to score enough points to win more ball games. They just have. They're scoring enough points to win ball games, even with a backup quarterback and you know guys off the street playing wide receiver. The defense, which was supposed to be the strength of this team, has been absent. They've given up the most points the Saints have than any team in the NFL. Now, if you take away some of those pick sixes and fumble recoveries and everything like that, they're still top five. Okay, so the defense has been sleepwalking. Can they fix it? Well, I don't know. They should be able to. I mean, they still have most of the players that have produced a a top-ten defense for several years now. Now, they do have a lot of injuries at cornerback, and Bradley Roby going on IR the other day is just the latest cornerback to to be missing. So uh, injuries have been an issue there, though not to the same degree as the offense. But they got to get... You know, players such as Marcus Davenport and David Onyemata and uh, Peyton Turner and uh, Tyron Matthew and Marcus May and, and get them playing to the level that they were expected to play at and have not played at to this point. So I think it's fixable because there's a lot of talent there. But again, we're seven games in and you begin to wonder if something's going to change when it hasn't changed thus far. Wrapping up our conversation with Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's shift from Saints to the Pelicans. I know it's early, but it's it's difficult not to be optimistic about this Pelicans team when you see them without Zion and B.I. and Herb Jones, and yet they still find a way to take down Luka and the Mavericks. All five starters scoring double digits the other night. They had three guys come off the bench and score in double digits as well. A balanced, complete team effort to get the win against a very good Mavericks team. What do you make of what you're seeing early on this season with Willie Green and the Pels? Well, it's extremely impressive. And you also have to look at the way they played those first two games on the road and the way they fought back against the Jazz even before and in the immediate aftermath of of those injuries. And to me, the most impressive thing about Tuesday night, in addition to the balance scoring, is they came out, they, they knew Dallas is, is noted for coming out and knocking teams out in the first quarter. They had just done it to Memphis. And they knew if they weren't focused that, that they could give up 40-something points in the first quarter and be down 20-something right away. So they were focused. They had a a tremendous first quarter, put up 40 points, uh, led for most of the first half by double digits. And then the lead shrunk to two. They fell behind by six early in the fourth quarter. Alvarado went to the bench with a minor injury, and they just brushed it off. And they came back, and they beat them in the fourth quarter after squandering the fast start. To me, their ability to sustain it and to regain what they had lost in the fourth quarter after losing 
really a fourth starter when you look at Alvarado going to the bench. Uh, that was really impressive, and it, I think you got to give it, uh, a lot of that credit to Willie Green and the staff. But also, as you mentioned, eight of the nine guys who played scored in double figures. Just an awful lot of people contributed to what was a remarkable performance. Les, appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much, brother. Enjoy your weekend, my friend, and we'll talk to you next Thursday, bud. Thanks, Raymond. Don't forget to keep voting on the poll question of the day. We asked you, will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the Saints? 72% of you say yes, 28% say no. Les himself kind of leaning towards, even though DA said it the way he did, kind of indicated that he could see maybe Winston play again. So keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on Facebook and on the Twitter. But coming up next here on RP3 and Company, we're going to giddy up with Gary Goff. That's right. Going to sit down and talk with the McNeese head football coach. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're roping in McNeese head football coach Gary Goff here on RP3 and Company to talk cowboy football. It's time for Giddy Up with Gary Goff. The rebuilding process at McNeese continues to take steps forward. Yes, disappointing loss on the road at Nichols last week in Southland Conference play, but they did a lot of things right, and there's still a lot to build upon moving forward. Homecoming coming up this Saturday inside the hole as they welcome in southeastern Louisiana. Kickoff scheduled for 7 o'clock. And joining us now to talk all about it is the man in charge of the McNeese football program, Coach Gary Goff. Coach, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, you bet. So let's go back to last weekend because you guys did so many things right in that ball game. You had a chance to win, and obviously you come up a little bit short. So what are your big takeaways from a game like that on the road against another opponent that's fighting and scrapping to get things going as well? Yeah, you know, every ball game comes down to just a handful of plays uh, to make a difference in winning and losing. And, uh, you know, really thought we played a, a good ball game um, up until that third quarter. And, you know, even after that, you know, we still battled. We still, we still put points on the board. But, you know, it kind of came down to three plays. You know, um, we were up uh, two scores, and we throw a, an interception that they, they returned you know, back. And even after that, we were still, still had the lead. And then, uh, you know, we give up a 90-yard touchdown pass, which is another momentum swinger, and that gave them the lead. And then at, at the end of the game right there, you know, we, we've got the ball fourth and one, down by five, and uh, we, we can't get the one yard. But, um, you know, so it, it was a combination of, of, of a little bit of everything. Uh, but you're right, there, there was some good moments, absolutely. But, you know, we, we, we got to learn how to, to, to not make critical mistakes. And, um, you know, we, we've got a lot of guys in new positions just due to some injuries and, uh, you know, some, some other guys no longer with us. So, you know, we, we've got some guys playing for the first time, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're kind of earning their stripes right now, their first taste of action in college football. The biggest thing that I've noticed over the years, whether it's in high school, college, or the NFL, when a new coach takes over and you have a huge you know, turnover when it comes to the staff and to the roster, is teaching kids and having them believe that they can win, no matter what, no matter the situation, yeah. whatever it may be, hey, you got this, we're going to pull out the win. It, from your perspective as a as a longtime coach, is that the biggest thing 
that is one of the bigger Absolutely. hurdles when you take over a program? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we we added 60 new players when we got here, most of them young guys. Um, you know, we did get some guys out of the portal, but um, you know, absolutely, it's teaching the team how to how to take the field and expect to win, expect great things to happen, not just hope. Um, and you know, the flip side of that, you know, we're, we're playing with about 15 seniors right now, and um, you know, these these programs that we've been facing, uh, you know, they got 46 seniors, they got 42 seniors. They're just they're, they're programs that have been established. The, the staff's been there for quite some time. They've built the roster, and they've got a lot of seniors and. Um, you know, that's, that's a big, big difference, even at every level. I don't care if you're in high school. If you're playing a lot of freshmen and sophomore and your opponent's playing a lot of seniors, um, you know, that's an that's a uphill battle from the get-go. But um, we're getting there. You know, we're, we're, um, we are having some victories in the program. It's, it's not the wins and losses right now. I get that. That's what we're here for. But um, we are seeing the change uh, on a daily basis in the culture, and, and they're, they're seeing that the little things are important. And um, until we can start doing all the little things on a regular basis, then, you know, the little things in the game are, are going to be you know, missed. And that's that's what's happening to us right now. We're just we're having some mistakes that are that are costing us wins. One of the players that you have on your roster can't help but not be impressed by. And that's Deontay McMahon. He 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 tried to put the team on his back on Saturday for you, coach. That That's a veteran guy who's stuck with the program, is committed to the program, committed to what you guys are doing as coaches. What's it like having a, a young man like that that, you know, not only is committed to the product on the field, but is also helping you off the field with those younger guys? Um, and I've mentioned this early in the year. If our entire team practiced like that, that guy practices, oh my gosh, things would be so much easier. Just because he's he's going to give you 100% effort 100% of the time, and uh, that, that's that's one of our standards we always talk about. And, and he lives it. But um, he's a lot of fun uh, to be around. He's, he's a he's a weapon both out of the backfield and in the backfield. And um, you know we we got to continue. We, we did a lot last week, and we got to continue finding ways to get him the ball. That's for sure. Let's talk about your quarterback. He gets injured in this ball game. You have to go to the backup. Where do we stand on on the status of your quarterback room heading into Saturday's game, Coach? Yeah, you know Knox is um he, he's kind of day to day right now. He threw just a little bit yesterday. He'll 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 do some more for the remainder part of the week. But um, you know he's kind of day to day. You know, so we'll, we'll see. Um, and if he's ready to go, obviously we'll we'll roll with him. If he's not. Um, there'll, there'll be a combination of uh, you know Roberts and uh, McAllister and uh, whoever else we can throw back there. But um, you know that's that's obviously been our Achilles' heel for most of the year. You know we we played uh, uh, you know probably going on about four quarterbacks now. So just just looking for the answer there. But uh, it doesn't help when uh, you know Knox is injured. That's for sure. What about the possibility of Walker Wood maybe getting some reps too? I know he was a quarterback, and then you moved him wide receiver. Is there any possibility we could see him maybe taking some snaps hey, Saturday? At, at this point, everything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, brother. <laughs> I got you. I like that. Every, everything, everyone, everyone is available to us. That's how that's going to roll. <laughs> We're talking with uh, McNeese head football coach Gary Golf here on Giddy Up with Gary Golf on RP3 and Company. You know, coach. Obviously, this is a rebuilding season. You're trying to lay a foundation and everything like that, and there's going to be some ups and downs during this process. But what's the one thing that you've kind of learned about yourself and learned about your team, rather, uh, at this point of the season as we wrap up the month of October that maybe you didn't know about when you first took the job and you first took over the Cowboys program? 
Well, I mean, I, I already knew this about myself, but it, it's uh, I got to answer this question every day. Like I, uh, I have zero patience, and, and I know, uh, and most people don't have that much patience. Um, but you know, this this is just part of the process with with so much change um, in and out of this program, both by players and coaches, and uh, very little stability. Um, it, it's not. You know, it's not you know unimaginable the the situation we're in right now. But um, but I've got a lot of lot of hope and excitement and um, knowing that you know we we're going to get this done here. There's there's no doubt in my mind just because we live in a great place. We've got um, a great university with great sport and a lot of talent right here around us. So you know we're going to continue recruiting um, and we got to continue raising the bar for the talent that that is brought into this program so that way we're on a level playing field um, with with our opponents there and um, you know so it, it's just part of it like like you said earlier taking over a program a new culture a new staff a whole new team um, it, it's just not something we can go out there and it's going to happen overnight when you're playing established programs that have been there and and, and been recruiting and had success but um, but that, that's that's why there this uh, th- this position was open, right? Uh, there's there's going to be challenges that some people aren't up for, and uh, you know challenges that some people are. And um, you know we're 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 not changing who we are. We're not going to change our standard. We're going to hold everybody to the same standard. And um, you know, tell staff you know every day we're going to continue coaching hard and do what we believe in. We've we've won everywhere we've been. Um, and uh, you know is. Is anything going to change? Absolutely. It's just going to be we're going to continue recruiting and uh, keep getting better. You mentioned, you know, you have to kind of game plan to have other guys maybe take some reps and, and be ready to roll Saturday at the quarterback position. As an offensive guy and as a head coach, how do you handle that? How do you divvy out, so to speak, the reps during practice when there's a possibility that your starting quarterback may not be able to go? Do you hedge your bets and give extra reps to some of the backups? Do you maybe change your game plan a little bit? Uh, How do you kind of approach that whole process? Yeah, I mean, you you do have to change it a little bit, um, which, you know, we've been, you know, adjusting it a lot this season, just some things that we're not able to do. Um, you know, based on talent and, and not just at the quarterback position, but other positions as well. Um, but, you know, th- this week of practice, we've been given, um, you know, a couple of guys even reps and uh, we're evaluating them, you know, all week. And they're, they're, they're both going to play. But we'll determine if, if Knox isn't going, we'll determine who the starter is, um, you know, and go with that. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm hoping today is the first day Knox does take some reps. But, um, you know, if not, we'll continue splitting the reps with the other two. But, um, you know, and, and we've got we've got a true freshman that that we've given some reps over the last couple of weeks, and um, you know, Cam McAllister. So, you know, we we still got some guys there. Um, you know, I don't know if they're the, the freshman's ready yet, but he's got to be ready if, if we call his number. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your opponent, Southeastern Louisiana Lions. They've had a good run of success under Coach Selfo, especially in the last couple of years with some, you know, big-armed, dynamic quarterbacks. Uh, they're yeah. not as dynamic as his years past, but they are going to present some challenges. Let's talk about offensively. What's the biggest thing that you see on tape, Coach, that the Southeastern uh, Louisiana Lions are going to present to you guys Saturday there in the hole? Well, they got two very capable quarterbacks. You know, they got, you know, one kid they put in there and, and they run the ball a lot with him. And they got another guy they put in there and he can do a little bit of both. But they're playing two quarterbacks right now. Um, I think, you know, they, they're going to continue doing that for the rest of the season. But they're explosive. They, they've got some explosive receivers. 
Um, they got a running back that I think is extremely talented, but uh, they're, they're very athletic on that side of the ball. And you, you got to cover the entire field just because of the quarterback. You know, he, he can take off at any moment. Um, and both his quarterbacks have had, had a really good season so far. Defensively, what, what are they running and what's kind of the strength of their defense? And, you know, how are you going to uh, go up against that, so to speak, Coach? Yeah, you know, kind of the same thing. They're, they're a 4 2 5. You know, so they, they play with five DBs. Um, on defense, they've got six um, re- returning all-conference players, uh, two of them being uh, preseason All-Americans. So that tells you right there they're, they're extremely athletic and have a lot of experience on that side of the ball um, and just just really good size. You know, their corners are long and rangy and, and can pretty much cover anybody. So um, right there presents the challenges. So we're, we're going to have to do a good job of establishing the run game and then, you know, picking our moments to take a, a, a shot that, you know, we get a matchup that, that we like on, you know, on one of their nickels or safeties or, or even a corner out of a different set. So, um, you know, we, we can't give this team uh, more opportunities. we we got to protect the football um, and, and take possessions away from them because, you know, in my, in my opinion right now, I, I do believe they're the best team in the Southland Conference, um, and I do believe they're going to be a playoff team. You know, they, they lost a heartbreaker against uh, Commerce. Uh, Commerce is a really good program. But, you know, outside of that, you know, they, they've taken care of business. Um, so I, I think they're, they're, they're really good. They're, they're um, you know, I'd say they're, they're probably the program that, you know, we, we, we want to, you know, chase down and, and be better than one day. But they're, they're definitely, in my eyes, the, the best in the conference. Coach, appreciate your time as always, brother. Best of luck Saturday night there in the hole against Southeastern Louisiana, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Uh, you bet. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Coach Gary Goff, the man in charge of the Munis football program. The Cowboys will host the Lions Saturday night inside the hole there at Cowboys Stadium. Kickoff set for 7 o'clock. We wish Coach and the Cowboys the best of luck. While you gear up for a weekend of exciting Southland Conference football action, just a reminder, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, pool, or for any other reason, You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge, and guess what? It's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 8 and the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig we got to take a timeout. when we return here in RP3 and company we're going to keep the college football discussion rolling right along as we're going to get a preview of tonight's UL Southern Miss game from someone who covers the Golden Eagles for the Sun Herald in Biloxi Scott Watkins joins us next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros Camara bobbles it at the 20. He reels it in and he's got the ball. What a catch by Camara. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the NFL. Louisiana Raging Cajuns going to be taking on the Southern Miss Golden Eagles tonight in Hattiesburg. 
it should be a good one. Both teams have helped kind of turn around their seasons, right? Cajuns hit a lull. They got back on track, started playing better, nearly beat South Alabama, then went on the road, beat Marshall, and then dominated Arkansas State. Southern Miss has stringed together wins as well, and they're led by a very salty defense. It should be a good game between two old rivals, but let's be honest, the rivalry series has been one-sided, dominated by Southern Miss, and the Raging Cajuns have only defeated the Golden Eagles once in Hattiesburg, once. That was 1989 when Brian Mitchell was leading the Raging Cajuns and Brett Favre was leading Southern Miss. So it's been what we like to call, as the kids say these days, a hot minute. Do, do young people still say that? Yes, my producer's telling me. In fact, young people do still say that. To give us a preview of tonight's game is a man who covers Southern Miss for the Sun-Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi. Scott Watkins now joins us. Scott, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning to you guys. Hope y'all are having a good morning. Having a great morning, my friend. All right, let's get right into this. It was a rough season a year ago for Will Hall, year one at the helm, the former Louisiana Raging Cajuns and Tulane coordinator. But things have turned around in year two, especially in the last month or so. What's been the difference? Uh, they're just a lot deeper. You know, there's a lot more talent on the field. Uh, the defense is getting some you know, room to breathe. It was good last year, but you couldn't really tell because it was on the field. I seemed like 80% of the game it was just put in bad situation after bad situation. But this year, the offense is a little bit better. And all around, it's just, to me, the biggest difference is there's just more bodies to put on the field, and they're a lot more fresher late in the game. And that showed up because they won their last two games in the fourth quarter. And that's that's really been the difference is they've been able to just put fresh legs on the field throughout the game. Let's talk about that defense because I keep hearing great things about it, and they got all types of impact players on that side of the football. Who are some of the guys that are leading the way for the Golden Eagles on the defensive side of the football? The most intriguing guy to me is, is Dominic Kiwan. He is the 12th position. If you go look at their depth chart, they've got 12 positions on defense. They throw that guy on the field in very specific times of the game. He is tied for third in the country in sacks with seven right now. This guy heading into last week, I think, was averaging like one sack every six snaps, which is just ridiculous. And he's kind of the leader of that front seven, a very attacking front seven uh, with a good linebacker play, good defensive line. Uh, defensive line is just full of transfers and, and, and older guys as well. And then uh, just really good, really good secondary back there as well. Uh, they get after the quarterback. They get after the uh, the running backs. They just get in the backfield. Uh, they're up there near the top of the Sun Belt in uh, tackles for loss. They've been that way pretty much all year. And that's just kind of how they engineer it is they, uh, they don't – to me, it doesn't seem like they're trying to shut down the run game first. It actually seems like they're trying to disrupt the pass game and then close in on the run. Uh, that seems to be the M.O. for this team. And uh, it has worked so far, and there, there it is. They have 62 tackles for loss, which is tied to first in the Sun Belt. And they just they just get after it. It's, it's impressive to watch. Is there any type of – any weakness, an Achilles heel, if you will, when it comes to Southern Miss's defense that the Cajuns could possibly exploit tonight in their matchup? Uh, well, they do give up a lot of intermediate plays, I feel like, at times. Uh, if you can – 
give your quarterback a few moments of space, just just a couple of seconds. The middle of the field seems to be open a lot. Um, they do not. Uh, it, the run the run defense can be kind of weird sometimes. They are prone to giving up big plays on the ground, not huge plays, but you know, fifteen yard runs here and there. Uh, it, it's just from you know being aggressive. There's always ways to counter that. Uh, you know, with the the hot you know pickup on a hot blitz here. Uh, you know, just kind of running past it on a draw or a counter. Uh, those type of things can create, uh, you know, you know, first downs and continue the drives against this type of Southern Miss defense. And what they do, similar to a couple of other teams, is they just they kind of they get tight in the red zone. They they don't get a lot of turnovers in the red zone, but they force a lot of field goals. So that's kind of been the mo is a little bit of a bend, but don't break. Stop the drive. You know, at the twenty. That's that's that is the Southern Miss defense. You can get around it because it's like I said, just very aggressive, and you can counter it if you have the right game plan. And and so far, the last couple teams they faced have not had the right game plan. Offensively, that's kind of Will's background as a coordinator, both Tulane and here with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Offensively, though, is the thing that has been kind of a a struggle for the Golden Eagles. What is this team's identity on that side of the football? That is something we are all trying to figure out, my man. Uh, this, uh, this <laughs> uh, that's that, that's an answer from a man who's had to answer that question a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough when you've got you know a quarterback problem that you haven't exactly figured out just yet. You've got a true freshman that you're trying to develop. You've got the retro freshman who's out for the season, and you've got a walk-on quarterback who's backing up the true freshman. And you've got an offensive line that just isn't all the way there yet and has really struggled this year, not as much as last year. Improved from last year for sure. But when you've got, you know, somebody who's turning the ball over a few times a game and an offensive line that's given up seven to eight tackles for loss a game, it's hard to establish an identity. They've tried it uh, in this past game. They used a lot more playmakers in the first half, and it worked. And then it just kind of died out in the second half, and they couldn't, couldn't do much at all. A similar situation against Arkansas State didn't pick up a single first down in the third quarter. It's it's going to be a while, I think, before this team finds an identity on offense. Uh, Will Hall has said it many times. Their identity is, as a team, to play the most ugly football game you could possibly watch, and that is going to present the best opportunity for Southerners to win the game. I feel like this is very much a must-win for both teams, Scott, especially if they want to get to a bowl game because the Sun Belt is just so loaded this year with so many teams that are going to be vying for bowl games. Do you believe that? Do you think this is a must-win for both teams? Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's college football, so my, my opinion is usually always um, that every day is a must-win uh, in, in the Sun Belt and, and anywhere you go, but especially at this point of the season right now, uh, Southern Miss has won four of its last five, but that two-game losing streak to open the season kind of makes things tough. It is a must-win because I look at the rest of Southern Miss's schedule after this, and you've got Georgia State, who's kind of struggled a little bit, but they're solid. And then Coastal Carolina and South Alabama back-to-back days. You've got to find wins uh, in this league, and it's hard to find them. So I look at it, five games left, you need two wins. Yeah, it's going to be tough. This is a must-win for Southern Miss. I don't know exactly what Louisiana has. I believe they've got actually a, a tough schedule ahead of itself as well. I think I was looking at it yesterday. But yeah, I mean, if, if you want to see a bowl game, 
one of these teams will take a big, big step forward today, and the other, the other is going to have a tough time getting the six. Scott, appreciate your time, brother. We'll get you out of here with this. Only got about thirty seconds. What do you think is going to happen tonight there at the Rock? Yeah, I think it's going to be gross. I think it's going to be like <laughs> Will Hall says. It's going to be uh, gross. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be disgusting. I think that Louisiana's offense is trending in the opposite direction that Southern misses, which is a, which is a good thing for Louisiana. So that's why I think the Cajuns might come out on top here. Uh, but I don't think anyone's going to have fun. Well, I'm going to have fun going to the game for the first time there in Hattiesburg. So I'm looking forward to that and meeting you in person, brother. I appreciate you making the time, and uh, we'll see you tonight. All right. Thank you guys for having me. My man said tonight's game is going to be gross. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. You're listening to RP3 and Company. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, don't forget NFL. That's right. Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens travel to South Florida to take on the Tampa Bay Bucks on Thursday night football. You can listen to all the exciting action live right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Pre-game starts tonight at 7. Kickoff is set for 720. That's Ravens at Bucks here on Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests. It was a jam-packed edition of RP3 and Company. Haley Arsamot shot from Crowfest. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports, Les East of CrescentCitySports.com, Gary Goff, McNeese head football coach, and Scott Watkins from the Sun-Herald Southern Miss Beat Reporter. Go back to our poll question of the day. We asked you earlier, it's all about Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton. They made the decision to go with the Red Rifle as the starting quarterback moving forward. Will that last pass Sunday's game against the Raiders? We don't know. We'll find out. But we asked you, will Jameis Winston ever start another game for the Saints? 71% of you say yes. 29% say no. Ton on Twitter says, what about Baker? Anything left in the tank there? I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Hart on Twitter says, the writing was on the wall all along this offseason when they went after Deshaun. I wanted Jameis to start and succeed. The injuries and early play calling didn't allow for any upside. People already talking about drafting a quarterback or getting Mac Jones. If you go that route, give me Tyler Huntley. Thanks for all who voted on the poll question today and all of you who left your comments. Thank you for that. That's going to do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9, but live from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Up next, Kevin Foot and Footnotes. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.